Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today I interview designer and typography expert Michael Stenson. Michael is the co-founder of TypeEd and creative director at Ramp Creative in Los Angeles. Michael and I catch up on the details of typography and I will warn you there are definitely some construction and siren and American Ninja Warrior sounds going on in the background of this interview so just be forewarned. Guys, we've got something different this week. Stick around for the end of the episode, and we've got a special discount code for TypeEd. You're going to learn about that in the interview today, so listen to the end for the special discount. You can get all of today's show notes today on our website at obsessedshow.com. Check us out on Twitter at ObsessedShow, and I'm at Josh Miles. While you're at it, head over to iTunes, and we would love it if you would give us a rating and review to help other great people find the show. Tell your friends about Obsessed Show while you're at it. So without further ado, please welcome Michael Stenson. Okay, guys, I am excited to welcome co-founder at TypeEd and creative director at Ramp Creative, Michael Stenson. Michael, thank you for being on Obsessed with Design today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, you and Rachel got our attention on Twitter actually. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I got, uh, I had met Rachel before at, uh, AIGA forever ago, but just interacting with type ed on Twitter about, uh, the obsessed with design podcast. And you guys had had some great comments and likes and whatnot. So mm-hmm. kind of thought we should, we should reach out and chat with you guys. That's great. That's great. So I understand that, um, maybe jumping in here, I understand that you had studied, aerospace engineering in college. So I am especially interested in your origin story as a designer and and really how you got into graphic design after studying aerospace engineering. Well, there's kind of a, a parallel there in, in my upbringing. I, I uh, won some awards as a, as a kid, seven years old in local, you know, art shows and whatnot and have always drawn my whole life. And um, when I got up into high school, I really enjoyed mathematics and physics as well. Um, I also took four years of drafting, mechanical drawing and architecture in high school. So I've always had this art background. And, but I, in high school in the 80s, you, know, you think of those things as a hobby rather than a career. So I, I applied to Berkeley for physics. I got in there and then Cal Poly had the wind tunnel. So they, they had a great aerospace program in the late 80s. And... Um, but when I got to high, uh, college from high school, um, I was completely burnt out, and I almost flunked my first semester mm-hmm. aerospace and thermal dynamics and calculus and everything. And uh, so I just wandered through the art department to see what was going on and met with a counselor, and he said, uh, you're in the wrong department. You belong in here <laughs> <laughs> from, from my background. And uh, I started a few classes, and I couldn't believe how easy it came to me. And uh, how fun it was. So I changed my majors and I went from a, from a 1.5 GPA to a 3.3 by the nice. time I finished. So I uh, had to kick some ass there at the end. <laughs> Sounds like you made the right decision. But the thing is, is that I, I still use a lot of math in design. I always have um, proportions and, and not calculus or atom splitting, calculus or whatever. But um, I still use a lot of that mentality in my work. 
Well, if you could figure out how to use atom splitting math for uh, typography, <laughs> I think it'd probably be pretty cool. I know a lot of people are interested in that too. I'll get working on that. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate especially the fact that you guys uh, with the type ed project have focused on teaching type because I, you know, I have made it a habit throughout my professional career to always be interviewing students and talking to colleges and stuff. And, and the one thing I've told students over and over and over again is that, you know, obviously we want to see good work in your book if we're going to interview you, but, but the great type skills are the, is what's going to help a really strong book stand out amongst the rest. Of course we hire for culture, but but I don't want to have to take the time to teach you type if you don't get it. So right. um, I really appreciate the fact of what you're doing with, for type ed, but for those of us who are maybe less familiar with it, give us the pitch for what type ed is about and kind of how you guys got that started. We started a couple of years ago because we had an influx in our creative business um, with, you know, interns and students coming by to show their books. And I just noticed how bad their type was. And I've always been taught, you know, I was taught type before the computer in phototype setting that it was the foundation of graphic design. I mean, it goes on the page first other than the grid and you build from there visuals and color come second. So we started type ed to bridge the gap between the education system, universities and the industry because it keeps seem to be widening, mm -hmm. you know, more and more. And uh, students are getting more and more frustrated as, you know, they come out of college and, and, find out that their type skills aren't up to speed, especially some of the schools that are local where they have three levels of typography and they still don't have it together. So the thing that's different about type ed is I teach those fundamentals, but I teach them in a really deep way because I'm after mindset and teaching the eye rather than just the techniques and the software, right? So it's that mindset again of, of approaching the page with a content-driven mentality rather than an image-driven mentality like we have today, you know, most of the time. And uh, because typography has become an afterthought in layout, right? Mm -hmm. Let's get the picture in there and move the type around so it fits. No, it's the other way around. That's the way I learned anyway. Set the type first and then the, the imagery jives with the content. So that's, for, that's why we started TypeEd is to help out with that old-school fundamentals again. Yeah, that's great. I think it's... Uh you know, painfully obvious, like you said, you could have three different levels of type classes and still not get it. I think it doesn't really matter what the name of the class is on the syllabus if uh, <laughs> if they're yeah. not learning the skills. And like it you doesn't. said, this the sad part is so many students walk out of university graphic design degrees and they don't know that their type isn't good. You know, they, yeah. they don't they don't get what's wrong and um, so I, I definitely have seen that need in the market and I think it's great that you guys address that. Is that, um, so you do both in-person and remote kind of classes for that, correct? I do. We're starting, we've been doing workshops and courses in, in our office here, but we're starting to move around more, go to the companies, Disney and Mattel and, and also do it online. And, uh, Rachel's developing this, um, kind of subscription where I'm a mentor, uh, more like a mentor where mm -hmm. I can go through people with a six, seven, eight week, you know, course online and, and keep up to date with them that way. So we're trying all kinds of things to help, help everybody out. And how long has type ed been going at this point? Uh, it would be, let's see, almost four years now, I would say. Yeah. Tw tw 2012 is when we kind of started. 
Very cool. So mm-hmm. your your agency side of life is mm-hmm. ramp creative. Yes. So how do you balance between ramp and type ed? What's what's kind of the balance of your day or week look like? It's really difficult. Um usually our, our creative work takes, you know, precedent, of course. Um when we're when we're in downtime or we're looking for work, we'll speed up on type ed. But we're basically doing type it in the, any off time. So we're working nights and weekends pretty much mm-hmm. seven days a week for everything. But this, this uh, time in the season, we're, we're slower in the uh, ramp business. So we're really trying to pour it all on, on the type ed side. Cause the summer kind of gets busy for career, busy for creative. So mm-hmm. it's really just a balancing act, but Rachel and I also teach at the university. So we've got kind of three things going on. <laughs> I, I teach at LCAD down in Laguna and she teaches over here at, you know, Cal state LA. So it's, it's, uh, it's challenging. <laughs> so what would you say you're, and then is it just the two of you in the studio? Oh, we have uh, another designer, but we've, we pull some in when we need it. You okay. know? Uh, we've got lots of friends. Rachel's on the board of AIJ, so she knows everybody in town. So, um, when we, when we, uh, get more work, we, we bring more people in. We get lots but, of, uh, lots of, uh, credit to AIJ on the show, which is pretty cool. Glad to see another mention of that. <laughs> um, well, tell us about what like a, a typical day or week is for you guys. Like how often are you doing administrative stuff for either type ed or for ramp and how often are you, you know, heads down designing stuff and how often are you actually leading sessions or teaching classes? I'd say teaching is probably more of a, uh, 30 to 40% of my week. I would mm-hmm. say, um, depending on where we are in the year. Um, right now it's more of like a 70, 30, the other split, the other way of type ed to, you know, to ramp work. So, um, most of my mornings begin with, you know, admin, of course, Monday mornings, we have a, a group session and all that. Mm-hmm. And I try to break up more of the, the week as type ed, the, the two T's of the week were, were our type ed for me personally. So I'm doing my resets and, you know, doing banner ads for type ed and all these other things, but I'm usually handling most of the visual creative for both. So Rachel's really the wonderful marketing admin, um, gatekeeper here <laughs> at <Excellent>. the office. <laughs> so I kind of follow her lead most of the week and, uh, show up where I need to be. And if it's a, you know, an interview like this or, you know, wherever I'm teaching on the weekend. So are you, um, regularly attending conferences or speaking or doing other kind of presentation gigs outside of your normal day? We're trying to, we'll be speaking at TypeCon in August. We spoke at Adobe Adobe Max in the fall, last fall. And so I think we're going to start maybe doing it more every other year Mm -hmm. and just try to keep up more of our online kind of presence. And we're really want to put more time in on that, but yeah. We speak at local schools quite often and uh, do critiques for friends and that have classes at those schools and things, you know, you know, just around town. So, but yes, we, we are often doing speaking conferences and engagements. So I'm, I'm curious now that you've said this, that you do critiques for friends. I'm curious mm-hmm. what, what insights in particular you feel like you bring to type critiques that most people don't consider. Uh, the details. I'm the guy about the details, you know, the ex engineer that worries about a 10th of an inch, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and, uh, because, you know, a lot of times the, the instructors are pretty good about, 
you know, an overall kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll go in and, and bring up things that maybe people don't see, you know, on the college level and uh, get them. I'm, I'm the guy that sharpens the radar a little bit, you know, yeah. in everybody's eyes. Just so, you know, it, I've always been an advocate of, you know, the devils in the details kind of a thing ever since the phototypes any day. So I just try to come in and give them an extra punch, you know, in there with the crits and, you know, just try to get them to be mindful of, you know, what they're missing kind of a thing. One might even say you're obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I can be, but I'm not, I, I, uh, I'm not overbearing with it. That's I kind of bring up uh, maybe a better idea of choosing a typeface that would fit better or, you know, for the subject matter, that happens a lot. You'll see typefaces that have no business with that concept, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. it's the right. wrong classification or whatever. So I try to just handle it that way where it's more constructive, if you mm-hmm. will, you know. So what are your favorite things to work on right now? Mine right now is I'm doing the type in now that we just finished this big project that we've had for four months. But I try to do anything I can with print. I've always loved print. And I know it's kind of a a weaning uh, medium for us in the industry. But, you know, if we can just um, work on print here, if I can afford it, then I will. But most of the time now, it's it's developing these classes and uh, working on the agendas for Rachel and and uh, doing whatever ads and mock-ups and artwork that she needs. Like, we have to, we're redeveloping the TypeEd website now, so I'm going to be jumping into that this week. Cool. Well, you had told me um, earlier that you guys were working with a, a local real estate company yeah. on a project. So tell us a little bit about uh, what that project was was all about. The thing that I enjoy the most, especially after all these years doing end reports, is the ability to extract ideas from the leadership of the company in a meeting for the past year and the things that they've, let's say covered that last year and what the premise was. And CWS um, had a, a couple of keywords about um, vision. And uh, the thing I know about this company after so long and being, you know, working for them is that they think differently. So I just twisted that to seeing differently. They see their market differently. So mm-hmm. we had these three premises uh, throughout the book of chapters, if you will, that were hindsight, insight, foresight. And there's, there's three presidents, uh, three leaders of the company. So it worked out well. One, you know, the, the original owner started the company. He was talking about all the things that they, they've experienced in the past. So hindsight. And then the insight is the, the day-to-day moment right now in the market. And that's Gary, the president. He, he knows how what's co- he sees what's coming kind of a thing. But Mike, the other one, he is better at seeing what's coming around the corner with Gary and so he, he addressed the foresight. Mm-hmm. So they had these, we had a little retro, you know, uh, apothecary kind of feel to it. But it also had illusions in it, which was kind of nice for me. And I have, haven't done anything, I've never been able to do a black and white piece because I'm so against the extremes of, you know, a spectrum or whatever. But this one was black and white. And a lot of, a lot of the executives were excited because they knew that the, the meeting that we're going to design on screen stuff is going to fall into it. And it's, you know, black and white's, you know, really hot right now, especially in interior design. Yeah. So, but the illusions, the main premise of it was that it spoke of in the first spread was 
we've changed our perspective, but we haven't changed our vision. And the cover has, is one of those trick uh, um, illusions on the cover where you make the type really, really stretch, and then you have to you know, level it out and look at it down the length of it to see what it says, and it says perspective. And uh, it's one of my favorite covers I've ever done. It's so simple, but it's, it's an interactive cover. Plain and simple, black yeah, and white. Very but, cool. the, but the paper, the paper on the cover too, it looks like it's white, but it's really pearl. So when you turn it, it turns pink and blue and green, and, and uh, yeah, it turned out very nice. It turned out very nice. So th- we're really excited about that piece, and the, and the client being so excited. Very nice. <laughs> um, so one of the other things that you told me about a little bit before the call was um, your side project called Reset. So. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how you're using that in your work. It's actually, you know, I've always been, I even tell my 14-year-old daughter now, it all comes down to practice, the repetition of your skill, and it, it keep evolving. So Reset also is helping me uh, look at type and seeing how it's set at maybe a novice level rather than a mastery level. And um, I've always been told, you know, with uh, my elders that the only way to achieve mastery is to teach. You have to teach. It brings your, it brings your game way up when you teach. And I didn't realize that, you know, as a hotshot young designer in my late twenties or 30, early thirties, but I do now it's uh, the details are, are very present now in the work. And so for reset, I try to, you know, and that's, it's done by video you know, where they can just see my screen and see the, you know, all those videos that are on YouTube now where somebody's doing calligraphy and they just whip it out in 15 seconds. Yeah. Well, this, this just covers it all the way through in InDesign. I'm using InDesign the whole time to reset type so they can see the difference between the details and the numbers. And I'm in t- with TypePad, I'm using numbers more to get people to pay attention to the numbers. I'm being mm-hmm. an engineer, I'm a numbers guy. So, I try to show them that. And then at the very end, I show a before and after where you can see it back and forth and see the, mm-hmm. like uh, one of them is a DVD packaging. You know, the backs of DVDs, how horrible it yeah. is. You just typeset and they just throw it together. So I, I do that one and show, you know, how it could be a little bit more sophisticated just with a couple of tweaks, you know, proportions and margins are usually the culprit on most of these things for reset, mm-hmm. you know, because they ignore the margins. And I show them how it can be produced in uh, the right software for the right project. You know, our dad used to say, use the right tool for the right job. So a lot of these guys I found out, and especially in the film industry out here in L.A., they're using Illustrator Photoshop to set content. And uh, that's a no-no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I because most of these are, are like 15 minutes or less mm-hmm. that I'm doing this in. So you can save a lot of time, too. So hopefully this will take off and... It'd be something unique out there that can, you know, because usually you get a lot of videos or how-to videos and you're just watching somebody produce it and, and see the technique, but they're not telling you why they're making this decision proportionally, you know, all the details involved with it. So I try to do that. So, so often when I'm having these conversations and I get to this question, I feel like I could answer it on behalf of the guest now that we've had a chance to talk a little bit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what would you say that you are most obsessed with today? Right now? Um, I would be obsessed with cognitive design. Mm. If, if, Tell us what you mean by that. 
Well, I see a lot of um, design out there that doesn't really have any idea. And I, I personally can't design without an idea or something behind it, some thought in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially if it's intertwined with type with really a bad choice, i.e. avatars, you know, kind of the, you know, the, where are they, the subheads in the film for Avatar that everybody, you know, squawked about in the design industry because mm-hmm. it was papyrus, let's say. Right. I don't, I don't really, I don't think that was that bad or the Met, sim, the Met new Met logo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really not that bad. It's, it's the thinking behind it that I'm interested in and the reasons they made the decisions they did. Because I was brought up with an old advertising guy from Art Center and he's, he, and he was Scottish and he asked, he might as well have been German because everything I did, he asked, why, why is it red? Mm-hmm. Why is it Bembo? You know, why, why isn't it Helvetica? You know, why are these margins? That's like, you know, every detail. So I learned to have a reason for all those decisions. And when I see that out there where the thinking's not there, that kind of bothers me sometimes. I mean, I'm not throwing stuff around the room or anything, but you know, in a rage, <laughs> but <laughs> I see that and I go, oh, I wish, I wish we were a little bit more thoughtful about our decisions and relating to concept. Right. Yeah. So do you feel like the things you've done with reset and with type ed have helped from a, a self-promotion standpoint as far as getting ramp creative, more visibility or getting, getting more visibility to you personally? Do you feel like it's kind of translated into more prospect or client exposure or is it more just scratching an itch that you have? No, it's, it's really the push from behind for me. I'm an introvert, you know, at the back of the office kind of guy. And I've always been that way. And I've, I've never been hungry for fame or fortune. You know, I'm, I was taught that this was a blue collar industry. I mean, a lot of my students see it as white collar and I assure them that, you know, there's an old saying that Michael Vanderbilt always said, and, and it goes, uh, the only way to make money in graphic design is in real estate. And, uh, <laughs> I find that true. I find that true. So, <laughs> so Rachel is, is, is for this in this day and age with social media, cause she's a social media queen. You know, she's kind of pushing me from behind and, um, I, it's, it's invigorating for me. Uh, it's, it's getting me to learn how to speak a little bit better. And, um, especially teaching has helped too. The thing is, is that nobody's really known me in this area. They, when the annual report was huge in the mid to late nineties, I, I was pretty well known. But nowadays the work we do is quite often not seen, especially for me. And nobody knows who's doing it. And, uh, just lately in the last couple of months, I've decided to you know, produce a website of my personal work mm. after, you know, 25 years here and nobody's seen like a good two thirds of it. And, uh, hopefully that will show people too, because my students, uh, especially if I was a student in a type class, I would want to know who I'm getting as oh, an yeah. instructor to see. And I mean, we have type eds website and our ramp website, but ramp shows very, very choice pieces. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't show all the, you know, the, the kind of bad work that you'd had to produce without, you know, being accepted on the idea, you know, how a client will push you in one way, and even though they, they know it's not the right way. Yeah. And so I'm going to show more of that, some of the work that, you know, is not so good to show them that, you know, you don't get to produce the, the great work on a daily basis is what I'm getting to. You know, it's, it's more like 10, 20% of that 
is really good work and the rest is all scrap, you know, kind of a thing. I know, I know designers, you know, uh, classic veteran designers over time, Michael Beirut or somebody mm-hmm. like that, Jennifer Sterling would agree with me because it's rare to get those clients to let you, you know, and really see what design helps them with as far as the value, you know. It's one of my favorite uh, talks at the brand new conference a couple of years ago in Chicago. The uh, One of the principals from Anagramma, uh, there in Mexico was showing all this beautiful work. And one of the questions in the Q and a was like just complimentary of all of his stuff. And how do you get your clients to do such beautiful things? And he says, Oh, we, we do a lot of crap too, but I'm not going to show you any of that. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> it's just like, yes. I, I want to show a couple of pieces on mine because I, I think there's a certain amount of humbleness, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that, um, should be shown, you know, to, to designers, especially my students that, you know, Hey, it's not all fame and glory kind of a thing. It's, it's, uh, it's more of a, a passion of love, like a chef. You're not going to make a lot of money, but mm-hmm. you're so into it that you don't know what else you would do anyway. Probably do it for free at some point. And we have, right? <laughs> yeah. So before we get totally into the trench of, uh, feeling sorry for ourselves cause we've done all this <laughs> free work or had our, had our ideas not accepted. <laughs> Um, you have won a whole bunch of awards, at least from what I can tell from your website, working with some pretty cool clients and you've worked with some big brands being in LA with, uh, UCLA. And I saw some pieces on there for American Heart Association, United Way. So how do you, how do you feel like you've gotten, I mean, as a self-described introvert, how do you feel like you've gotten in front of some of those clients and brands and what's helped you land some of those big projects? I think for us, we started in 04, 03, 04, somewhere in there. No, 02, I think. And um, from the beginning, I already had a reputation in reports, and I, I, it was easy to get that kind of work, you know, in the mm-hmm. early 2000s. And then it shifted, of course, as it did for everybody in 07, 08. Yeah. Had to do more marketing and everything. But we've, up until then, we've mostly done referrals, just people knowing people, you know, that are friends. And, and I think the reason we've gotten hired probably is, is the level of the quality of our work, I guess, if you would. A lot of, most of the brands that we've worked with that aren't big are usually the better projects. I've always enjoyed working, especially with annual reports, enjoyed working with those companies that are trying to get to the Fortune 500. They're, they're like on that path mm-hmm. to help them out. And that's, that's where the real exciting work is to me personally. I mean, I've done the Coca-Colas and the you know, the Taco Bells and the Del Tacos and all those kind of clients, but it's so already, you know, canned, in the can as far as creativity. Um, So you're not really challenged there, you know. But some of these, um, like UCLA was a small department there, and they just found us online. And they saw some of our things. And and a lot of times, uh, last five years or so, we've gotten uh, some interest from Rachel's writing on the website. Hmm, cool. More of a off the cuff, personal kind of enlight- enlightened kind of tone, and that's that's uh, helped us as well. Because when we first started out, it was pretty serious, and you know, hey, we can, you know, really do serious work, kind of a thing. But yeah. that's helped us out in our our we're starting to have more fun, you know, with with clients and take on the ones that you know really value us. So, yeah, I know early on I got. Uh, 
this comment from one of my clients. I was in person at a meeting for one of our first face to face and making jokes and stuff. And they were like, we didn't know you were so funny. (laughs) And and at first I thought, Oh, that's cute. And then I thought, well, why not? And then I went back and kind of read some of our old stuff and like, yeah, we kind of took ourselves a little bit too seriously at the beginning. And I think especially when you're getting started and you know, our company started about the same time you did. It sounds like, but um, you know, we just, we're trying to prove that we could handle it and, you know, we're, sure. we're ready for the big boy projects and ready to be serious. And, and I think actually letting that personality show a little bit more has has been a, a more positive impact than trying to fake that you're this, you know, big, serious company. Sure. And I, and it was, you know, in the late nineties, it was welcome, of course, to be serious and they wanted to be mm-hmm. secure. The whole thing about clients is security, right? Yep. They want to make sure that you're capable of handling their work and with humor now, and ever since, you know, the 2000 kind of a thing that, you know, the ties and the sport coats kind of went away and we started wearing whatever we wanted as creatives. Mm-hmm. And now it's a little bit more casual, right? And so the speaking and the tone has gotten more casual, but humor is, I found is a huge tool with clients and it gets them to relax and not be so tense about talking about money and the budget and timelines we need it tomorrow kind of a thing and with humor it exudes confidence too that hey yeah. i've done this a million times we can it's no problem kind of a thing so so i'm curious with all of your background and annual reports if um in the past few years if you've seen a ton of work shifting to digital for you guys or if you're still doing a lot of annual reports in the traditional print fashion no, I think we started out with eight and O2, and now we're down to one. The CWS mm-hmm. client I was referring to, mm-hmm. they're still letting us produce, you know, their report for them. Now it's gone into branding and, and their uh, investor meeting. But no, I, I, I'd love to do on your reports. I just haven't pursued them. Mm-hmm. We're doing more branding package kind of work uh, where you get identity, website, you know, collateral kind mm-hmm. of thing. If the, if, and they're for smaller companies now. They're not public, so they're not going to have an end report. Um, but a lot of the annuals now, Josh, have, have gone to RFP. Mm-hmm. And we just don't... I've never gotten a project from an RFP. I've probably submitted around 20 over the years. Yeah. Never never gotten a project. Because the, the numbers don't get you the project. The relationship does. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You would concur, right? So, no, I mean... The last couple of years has been more like 60, 40 um, digital to print. Mm-hmm. And um, for me as a designer, and you called the perfect person, by the way, for design obsessed, because <laughs> I like anything. I'll design an aircraft for you if you want, or, you know, a yacht or some furniture. <laughs> I just like the process of design. I always tell my students that I'm usually bummed when a project's over because the process is over. Whereas yeah. a lot of people design for the end product, I, I do the opposite. I, I like the journey. No. Very cool. Well, I was thinking back to everything you've, you've been able to work on in the past. What, what do you feel like is one of the, your proudest moments as a designer? I would say um, this com- little company I was working for down in Newport Beach, I really started to make some headway on um, putting this little firm on the map nationally for annual reports, and we had Quicksilver at the time, which is a really oh, big... Oh, yeah. Very cool. ...since gone defunct. But we had... Uh, back then, it was like the Mead show uh, for, for annual reports was like the Oscars. 
friend reports mm-hmm. back then. It's that prestigious. And Graffis, of, of course. But I got two books in that, uh, The Wet Seal and Quicksilver, in that show. And they happened to have their, their big award ceremony over here in L.A. at the Standard on the rooftop. And that was, that was great. I had veteran you know, designers that I've respected for so long come up and say hello. And that was, uh, gave me goosebumps. It always has. Very cool. But yeah, there's other things like getting into TDC. That's a huge one for type. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really rough to get in there. But yeah, there's a couple of moments. But that meat show is probably, and I was young too. I was probably, you know, 29, 30 yeah. to get that at a level. So, Well, I guess looking forward, are there any dream projects that you're hoping to tackle at some point in the future? You know, I get this question a lot in, yes, whiskey. Anything to do with whiskey? I'm there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you should move or out here. We're just uh, two hours away from Kentucky. So all the, <laughs> all the bourbon in the universe comes from right here. Just something that I enjoy. You know, I, I would love to, I told Rachel, I'd love to get uh, like a telescope brand. Oh, that's that would, interesting. That would be fun um, for me. Anything back to the science roots that I've had. Oh, yeah. Be really fun for me. Um, even a math book I would enjoy, uh, where I could cross those interests that I had when I was younger of design and math or physics or some kind of science. I'd be happy with that. Autobahn would be great too. Nice. Someday to do the Autobahn. Yeah. So I really thought I was into physics too in high school, except I was really bad at math. So it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work out <laughs> as well as I thought. So if I was any good at math, my story could have been your story. I may have tried the, the physics route first, but uh, math didn't work out. So I went straight into graphic design. So Yeah, I, um, I never w- got into quantum physics, and that was a big thing at the time. I just mm-hmm. liked the, the, the physical world, physics, you know, kind of a thing. But quantum fixes, I, I was interested in space, but not that interested, you know. So I'm curious if you, um, as you're talking to a prospective client, what the, the red flags that you look out for are, you know, how do you know if this is going to be potentially a, a bad fit relationship? For me, um, for us, usually, um, it depends on whether we need to work or not, but a lot of times ego and arrogance will mm-hmm. give red flag of, from the decision maker, you know, uh, it's my way or the highway kind of attitude. And, um, that I can see where it's not going to be a team effort and they may see us as a vendor rather than a partner. Yeah. I usually, usually, you know, puts a red flag on my, on my viewpoint for that. Um, also work for hire. I haven't had good experiences with work for hire mm-hmm. because again, we're, you know, we're locked into an inch thick document, you know, with a company that you really just, we might as well just go over there and work at their, Headquarters for a couple of months yeah. because you're really an employee. So for folks who don't know what work made for hire means, could you give us the, maybe the less than perfect legal definition of work made for hire? Let's see if I can do that. Work for hire is basically, um, you're, you're just doing the task and the, uh, actual ex- execution of the design. You don't own anything. You don't have any copyright rights. You don't even get to show the comps. You get no samples of the print work. It's pretty much we give, they give you money and then you go away kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And, um, that is always squirrely for me because again, it's not really a partnership thing. It's, it's a true vendor situation. A lot of the 
TV production companies run like that around here. And it's fine. It's, it's the way their business is run. But to really, um, you know, have a you know, good relationship on a project, and I always think the better the relationship, the better the work. And that kind of is counterintuitive. You know, Workfire is kind of counterintuitive to that thought, mm-hmm. you know, of being valued and respected by both ends kind of a thing. Yeah, it's typically the kind of relationship, too, where anything that you touch or make while you're on the clock for them is theirs. So it's not like they just get the final product, but they get they get all of the work product that you yep. produce. Comps, and that, everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess word to the wise, A, I am not an attorney. I'm pretty sure Michael's not either, but um, just <laughs> word to the wise, if you get an agreement and it's a work made for hire agreement, you might have your... Uh, your your attorney friends check that out for you and make sure you're not getting yourself into trouble. Yeah, don't get me wrong; they're not all bad. I'm sure. I've just had you know a couple you know unsatisfactory, unsatisfying you know kind of projects in the past, and I'm sure they're not all. It just depends on the company and you know kind of a thing. Not to say that they're all bad. You know. Sure. Well, knowing how detail oriented you are, especially when it comes to typography. I'm curious, um, you know, for most designers, we're kind of either feel completely blessed or ruined in how we view the world around us because we see Mm -hmm. all these things and they stand out. So obviously to us, I'm curious what some of your pet peeves are, what some of the designer mistakes are that drive you crazy. Well, for me, it's, it's not really mistakes. It's it's the amount of design that's being, um, the lack of of design or creative that's being done based on our technology. Like for instance, we see everything kind of centered now, now that we're using templates online and there's such a lack of mm-hmm. composition. I mean, a lot of my students don't understand composition because they're looking on the web and everything's centered, mm-hmm. right? Cause you can't produce, you know, organic composition on the web. So that's a thing of mine um, that I saw coming a long time ago and now it's here with the template driven stuff. But it's, it's like I might've said before, the lack of the details, that kind of uh, puts a you know thorn in my shoe kind of a thing. Um, and logical thinking, uh, just some of the common sense design decisions. And don't get me wrong, I've missed it too when the project's flying by and you have you know a tiny schedule. Mm-hmm. I'll miss some details. And it really makes me mad because I'll lose, when I find it when it's done, I'll lose a week of sleep. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Damn. So, um, but yeah, I know it's, and again, I don't get as worked up as I used to be because I'm always super competitive in my 20s. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I understand the the speed we're working at now, so I can understand. But yeah, it's it's the the type. One of the things that drives me nuts, if you really want to know, is hyphens, lack of hyphens. Mm-hmm. And one of my theories is that every we read a lot more online, and and the coding can't produce hyphens on the web and break words because of you know the vast 550,000 words that we have yeah. in our language. Um, but every, everybody thinks, you know, off the web or, you know, in print that we're not using hyphens because we don't see it on the web. And that's not true. And a lot of corporate people have overridden me on, you know, we're not using hyphens. And I, I try to tell them that you're counter, counteracting the flow of the reading capability of the reader because we always want to read left to right. And if you have bad rags, which are these giant left pointing arrows on the right side of the copy, yeah. there's friction going back and forth. So again, I asked them, how well, how easy do you want your customer to read your content? Because that's what they're there for. The imagery is just the carrot, but they're there for 
the content, the real substance. So how easy can we make it? Because we all know that the best typography is invisible. Mm-hmm. So, and I have the latest Chicago manual style, you know, the big ass book that, you know, has all our, the game plan in for typography and grammar and language. Uh, it still has a whole chapter on hyphens and how to use them. And it's really not that difficult because wherever the syllable break is, that's where the hyphen goes. And the software now, especially InDesign, can really, you can really customize it to satisfy a client where things break. So let's say you have a, a rough project or a project that doesn't go quite like you want it to, or maybe it just went too fast and you didn't have time to be quite as obsessive about the project as you, as you would have liked. How do you shake that off or what's the easiest way for you to kind of get through that kind of project? Yeah, again, I, I teach my, my students that, you know, when, when their work goes on the wall, you know, for a crit, that's when you cut the umbilical cord of emotion. It's, it's not your work anymore. It is when it's in your hands, but the, that's a client's work. It's on the wall and it's now a group deal. I think I've recently tweeted that. And Yeah, I love that idea. That's awesome. That's what I do at projects in general. I, I try to cut the emotional cord when it's done, mm-hmm. whether it's long or short, satisfying or unsatisfying. I try to, to move on and focus on the next thing because, I, again, I'm, I'm really, I am really obsessed with design and I'm, I just want to get to an, the next process, not exactly the project, but the next journey of, of how the next one will go. And hopefully it'll be better, you know, the one that I had. I'm not sure if you can hear the cheering in the background, but they are uh, filming an episode of American Ninja Warrior outside of our office today. So <laughs> if uh, I will just make that general disclaimer, because I just started <laughs> hearing the cheering. So I'm excited to go check that out. But uh, we will not cut this interview short for me to go watch <laughs> ninjas compete. So. Because <laughs> yeah, typography usually, is more important, darn it. Sure. We, we usually have filmings and fire engines going on outside ours, too. We're right, <laughs> on, the, right on the street below. Nice. So outside of uh, fire engines, filming and ninjas, where do you go to find inspiration? I picked up a tip from a, a old boss of mine, my first mentor and boss of, you know, when he, when we were doing logos and identity and random reports, he always told me to, if you're doing a logo, go look at records. If you're doing an end report, go look at, go watch a movie, you know, do something that's completely outside the realm and concentrate on concept. You can always do composition and form after that, but that's where you're, you know, and I believe in that. So inspiration for me is when my mind's not on the job. It's mm-hmm. in my back of my head and my ideas will just come at the most random moments. Cool. And inspiration for me too is that I look at everything for this printed down report that I just did for CWS. I was, for some reason I got on the, the uh, the track of uh, iPad games, you know, on the apps. Mm. And I was looking at some of the winners from last year or the year before, and they're absolutely gorgeous. One of them was Monument Valley. Beautiful, beautiful game. And it's, it's a game that fits me perfectly because it has to do with perspective and it's the trickery of three-dimensional space and that kind of thing. And it's just beautifully produced. And uh, I never thought I'd, be there, you know, paying attention to it. But my subconscious, it always keeps my the project that I have in mind there. So then it came forward and, and I thought, wow, this could be, you know, something new as a look for them. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's just it's, it's just for some of the details. And it wasn't an overall look or anything. It was just well-handled type and, you know, simplicity and everything. So, so for me, I get inspiration from everywhere, but it's usually in the opposite direction of what I'm working on at the moment. Like if I'm doing print, I won't usually look for print as an inspiration. I'll look movies. And, you know, I was doing a, a black and white. This is, for instance, uh, Josh. I knew this piece was going to be black and white, so I, I immediately thought of a movie that I, I really enjoyed that was so beautiful. I think it was the foreign, um, the Os- it won the Oscar for foreign film last year or the year before called Ida. Mm-hmm. I think it's from Denmark or Sweden. Okay. And it's shot in a square frame, you know, like Wes Anderson does sometimes. He'll shoot it with the square format, mm-hmm. you know, with the two and a quarter or whatever. And the composition and the contrast are just stunning. I mean, I didn't even read. I, saw, I watched it twice. I didn't even read or follow the storyline the first take, you know, the first. <laughs> I, uh, I, and then I went through and watched the movie again mm-hmm. for the story. But the composition... And the purpose of the, where the camera is, is just, it was unbelievable. I showed it to my students to study composition. But anyway, I went and looked at that again because I knew I was going to do black and white for, mm-hmm. this particular, for this particular piece. I think it's cool to go back and, um, and really try to understand why it is you like something. I mean, when I watch mm-hmm. a Wes Anderson film and you see things that are just so symmetrical or so perfectly aligned or the color palettes or, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, you know, the, the characters so far out of frame and so far on the other side and just the interplay of the, those visual shapes. But, mm-hmm. but you kind of have to stop and look at it and go, or at least I do and, and say to myself, okay, why do I like that? Why did I respond to that? What's, mm-hmm. what's different or unique about that? And I love the idea of looking at film as inspiration for an annual report. That's just, I think, yeah, really great advice from, from your uh, mentor. I've always loved Stanley Kubrick too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody likes, you know, everybody knows him for 2001 space odyssey and, you know, a couple of those, but I've always enjoyed Barry Lyndon. It's virtually a film that's a moving painting, a moving oil painting, the way it's shot, the, the lighting and, and the whole story around him shooting a candlelight and acquiring a NASA lens for 20 grand or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's really beautiful. I, I usually have my students look at it too. There's our sirens, by the way. Yeah, case in point. <laughs> <laughs> Authentic Hollywood sirens. So speaking of your mentors, you've mentioned mentors a couple of times. I'm curious if you have any particular design heroes or uh, mentors who've helped guide you to where you are today. There's probably too many to mention because I admire so many, but I was brought up, you know, my upbringing in design was following Massimo Vignelli, of course, and uh, a couple of others, uh, you know, Seymour Schwast and, those kind of guys. But for me personally, when I finally got into my own in the late uh, 90s and early 2000s, I, I watched Woody Pirtle, and I've always loved Fred Woodward, mm-hmm. uh, Rolling Stone, and, and then Jennifer Sterling as well. I mean, how could you not like Jennifer Sterling? And um, she really hit in the mid-90s like gangbusters, and she was doing mm-hmm. annual reports too for Tall, Steve Tollison in San Francisco. And uh, just the, my eyes are always looking for something new. Mm-hmm. and fresh and um jennifer was one of those that like holy smokes this is not even this is i i refer to her as less of typography and more of painting with type mm-hmm. and that's literally what she does just paint with type 
And I love that idea of the two mediums coming together like that. I had never crossed my mind before then, you know. And Fred just knows how to, he knows how to meld the type with the image next to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he's famous for. And uh, Woody Pirtle, I've always mined for just his simple ideas. One of the ones that I remember uh, seeing a poster of his, and believe it or not, I think it was for NASCAR or something. I can't remember. It's some kind of track racing. Mm-hmm. But all he did was take a big piece of black paper home to his kids. I think they were all below 12. And give them a box of crayons and just said, hey, make me a, a different colored, big, big oval. Mm-hmm. And that was his poster. It's just all these colored marks going around in a circle, like the <laughs> cars. That was it. That's awesome. It's like simple, wonderful. You know, he, of course, he did the Noel Hot Seat poster, mm-hmm. the chilly chair. And, yeah. You know, it's just the simple ideas like that that really, you know, where there, there's even no need for design, right? Mm-hmm. It just is the idea. Absolutely. And uh, he, he's always been, you know, the idea guy for me, Woody Pearl. Well, I feel like um, outside of the fact that the accent is a little bit different, I can definitely hear Massimo Vignelli and, and some of the things that, that you talk about and the idea of simplicity and the type kind of coming first and the grid and the math and all those things. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. So if you weren't designing, what do you think you'd be doing today? That's a tough one. I'm not sure, really. I'd... uh if it's as far as work, who knows? It probably maybe if there was a way to stick to some kind of science of some sort would probably satisfy me. I always was kind of I'm one of those guys that's curious about everything. And I've always learned to bust through things visually and see how it operates, you know, kind of a thing. So science and medicine has always mm-hmm. interests me. But I mean as far as a practical answer to that, it'd probably be teaching. I had no idea I'd be teaching this soon. I mean, I had a mm-hmm. idea that maybe you'd pick it up in this your 60s, you know, when you're kind of can't bring your A game to the table as much design-wise. <laughs> and I expected that. I just didn't expect it to be teaching this early. But uh, there's so much need for typography now. It's such yeah. a niche. And I just got started helping one of Rachel's grad friends at a local college, a small community college, just fill in. And then all of a sudden I'm there for five years, of course, because they won't let me go. But um, I think there's, there really is a need for type these days, and it's really getting ignored. So I'd probably be, you know, hopping around to universities, I guess, practically. Yeah. yeah. What do you think you'll be doing 10 years from now? I hope I'm in Venice, Italy, you know, <laughs> in a room uh, running this type ed thing online, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully. That sounds like a good vision. I, I like that idea. I don't know. No, I'll probably be teaching where I'm at, but running type ed too. Rachel and I are trying to see if type ed has some legs that we can, you know, run it from the middle of the country. If we have to run around to all ends of the country for conferences or lectures or, or work, mm-hmm. so we're maybe thinking about Denver, or, you know, Kansas city or some, something where you can just have a two hour flight everywhere, you know, kind of a thing. So we've, we've thought about that. And then of course, out of the country because of all the, you know, the, political landfill that's going on right now yeah. with candidates and nonsense. I think we've reached a, you know, a patient's threshold with our politics. <laughs> so we're kind of going, hmm, yeah, maybe we should try something different. 
kind of thing. So I'd move to Australia, but they have too many scary snakes and animals and everything there's poisonous and Indeed. They do have good laws though. Yeah. Yeah. It's New Zealand I always wanted to go to as well. Beautiful country. So you've uh you've dropped lots of good advice on us today, I feel like in this Great. interview. But um I'm curious if you feel like you have a best piece of advice either that you have received or a best piece of advice that you give to your type students. I probably say this is a German Irish thing, but I probably say never be satisfied and to keep improving. I'm I'm like rarely satisfied. I have such I get accused of having especially at colleges of having too high standards. You know? But my Psychologist says that's a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> so I kind of think it's a good thing. So I would uh, say uh, try to go for uh, craftsmanship rather than speed too, you know, because once you get good, the speed will come. But to concentrate on the craftsmanship first. Yeah, or else you do bad really fast if you don't. Yeah, and then you'll, you'll keep doing it too. Right. So, yeah. Well, Michael, this has been fun to learn about uh, what you're up to both with your studio and with uh, type ed and it's been uh, enjoyable chatting with you today and I appreciate you hanging out with us. Well, thanks so much. This has been great. It's been wonderful. Tell everybody where we can uh, find you online and where they can check out more of your stuff or learn about type ed. Oh, okay. You can go to uh, T Y P E dash E D.com. That's type ed.com with a hyphen and ramp com, Of course, um, we're going to be redoing that site as well soon. Me personally, M.W. Stinson is my Twitter handle, if you will. And on Instagram, it's the same. Well, no, it's M.W. Stinson 70. And what I'm doing there is I'm posting an annual report a day because I have a huge, massive library over the last 30 years. It goes back to the 70s of just posting one a day. So um, people are starting to like that. And then Pinterest, I have a Pinterest page if you're interested in that too. And I think that's it, right? Yeah. Very cool. Well, we'll definitely post all of those links on the show notes over at obsessedshow.com. And uh, Michael, thank you for joining us today and thank you for being obsessed with design. All right, guys, that's another episode in the books. Thank you so much for joining us for my interview with Michael Stenson. Hey guys, we're really excited that type ed is offering our listeners of obsessed with design 20% off on your first online basics class. So this is great for designers who want to brush up on their type skills. You'll have to check it out and let us know what you think about the class. Again, to get 20% off, go to type-ed.com slash obsessed and use the promo code obsessed at checkout. You can get all of today's notes on our website at obsessedshow.com and be sure to check us out on Twitter, at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed with Design is a production of the Design Obsessed Folks at Miles Herndon, located 13 floors above beautiful downtown Indianapolis off of Monument Circle. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. Thanks again for joining us, guys. If you have any suggestions for who you think I should interview next, please submit those online or on Twitter at Obsessed Show. See you next time. Bye.